Welcome back to another episode of Last Man Off the Bench, brought to you by Roll Call Sports. I'm one of your hosts, Ethan McDougal, and joining me today, as always, is my friend Caleb Lucas. Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty all right. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. And Caleb, where can the people find you if they want to fig- see more of your takes? Uh, I don't tweet a lot, to say the least, but uh, I'm on Twitter at Caleb Lucas 17 and I am on Twitter at McDoogie1. Now, Caleb, it's been a while since we last talked. I yeah, would blame that. that on. Yeah. I would blame that on a uh, late, late games. Last yeah, week. yeah, this West Coast road trip really uh, butting up against midnight almost every time. Yeah, I went past my bedtimes way too much last week, and you know we were gonna talk about the Boston Celtics game against the Bulls today, actually. But unfortunately, that was rescheduled or postponed or however yeah. the NBA wants to learn it. Yeah, postponed due to uh, Celtics uh, not having enough players with uh, the COVID outbreak that's kind of been going through the league. Yeah, and that, it's very unfortunate news. And we wish all of the NBA players the best of health. It's kind of like an ongoing thing. The Celtics have had three of the five games the NBA has postponed. Yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been a rough, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the Bulls aren't without the w- without their Mars from this COVID outbreak. Um four players, some of which are coming back. We've got Markinen, Archdiakonos, Sadoransky, and Hutchison. Those latter two were the ones who tested positive. And they're all trying to work their way back to the team. Yeah, I'm hoping so, sooner rather than later and uh, no, no ongoing complications from it for anybody. Yeah. And so that's why we're coming to you with this kind of modified time structure. And we're going to kind of do a modified show as well. You know, the Bulls went on a vacation. They went out to the West Coast. That's why all of their games were so late. They played against the Trailblazers, Kings, and then both LA teams and the Lakers and the Clippers. And so, you know, what Caleb and I are going to do is we're just going to discuss that whole West Coast trip what used to be called the circus trip, actually. Uh, that's because Barnum and Sons, they used to rent out the United Center. And so every time they rented out the United Center, Bulls would go on a West Coast trip. That's just a little bit of trivia. But uh, we're going to treat all of those games as just kind of one big game. Yeah, yeah. One big trip, kind of getting as much as we can about uh, the trip as a whole. Because uh, Bulls went one and three in those games, uh, took down the Trailblazers, but... It was the most encouraging one in three stretch I've seen from a team. And as long as I've watched sports. Absolutely. It's, there's a lot of consternation about the term moral victories. You know, how good can it feel if you're losing the game? But these are moral victories and one normal victory. You know, you're playing a lot of the elite teams out West and some of them did deal with a little bit of personnel issues. Um, I think who who was out for those games? Uh, in the one, the two big names that kind of stood out uh, was the Kings. Uh, De'Aaron Fox went down uh, five minutes into the game with a hamstring injury, and then it, with the Lakers, they were, they were missing Anthony Davis, which is clearly a really big miss for them. Mm-hmm. But the other two teams were at yeah, full mostly strength. yeah, yeah. They had all their main players and all their key players and uh, rotation players. Uh, not too sure to how far down the depth chart I went. So. 
Yeah. So it was kind of a balancing act also because Otto Porter Jr. left the Lakers game six minutes in with back spasms. So everything was kind of an even playing field as much as you can be. And each of these games were competitive right until the end. It felt like every game. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the, I had two stats to kind of throw out with this one is overall across the four games, the uh, total like point difference uh, between the Bulls and the teams they faced was negative seven. And there was only one game where the final box score was more than one score apart. And I believe that was the Kings when they lost, when the Bulls lost by four. So all of these games were ultra competitive all the way through, especially down at the end. That's, that's awesome. That's better than we could have imagined, especially off of the Bucks game, the Mavericks game, even if we want to talk about the Pacers and the Hawks game. So we're feeling a lot better and we, we want to share the vibes that we're giving off with you guys right now. And so we're going to do our normal structure of negative and positive. But before that, we've kind of got a little bit of liminal space where we have these topics and we're not really sure if they're negative or positive. And Kayla, why don't you take us through these topics? Uh, I know that we at least got the rotation. Uh, What was the other one you had in mind? Well, the rotation is the big one. Yeah. And I think it's kind of branching off of the, rotation and there's one other thing that is both kind of a positive and a negative so we'll save that one for later yeah, on. yeah okay just teasing them a little yeah just teasing a little so what what's up with the rotation i it's been a really enjoyable time watching the rotation because i i love all the experimenting and kind of the principles that billy donovan is kind of implementing it into this uh rotation in a certain sense I, I kind of take it with a grain of salt so far this season because we haven't seen the Bulls at full strength. Uh, but that might just be something that'll go throughout the season with uh, everything that's going on. But uh, we have uh, Kobe White still starting. Uh, Lowry Markman was out for this road trip, so you had Otto Porter and Patrick Williams in at the forwards. And then you had uh, Levine and Wendell Carter in there. And... Uh, and then when Otto wasn't starting, it was Garrett Temple oh, yeah. starting. Garrett Temple, yeah. Yeah, it was just a, a really fun rotation early on in the Blazers game. It was uh, uh, pretty cool to see uh, Otto, Patrick Williams, and Temple and with uh, Levine and Wendell Carter. And that kind of made it a, a really versatile uh, kind of – and on both ends, defensively, they're all very solid – defenders and an offense they can all pass triple shoot i think it was just a really good looking team when those three guys are out there complimenting everybody else yeah but don't you think that billy donovan is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth with his rotations uh a little bit i I want to hear your take on this i know that you have some strong feelings on it yeah so He's starting Kobe White. And to me, starting Kobe White is telling me that A, you care about player development and B, you don't care about wins. Because if you're starting Kobe White and Zach Levine as a starting backcourt with no point guard, you want Kobe White to develop as a point guard. And when you when your feature guard, your feature, your feature ball handler is still developing, 
you're not going to have many wins that way. So that's what you start the game out with. And then at the end of the game, the lineup at the end of the game is as veteran laden as it can get. You know, Thaddeus Young is out there instead of Wendell Carter Jr., Garrett Temple's closing lineups. Um, sometimes Patrick Williams isn't even in the lineup. So it seems to me that on one hand, he wants to develop, but when the game is on the line, he doesn't want to teach these players how to win. I don't know. Am I thinking about this the wrong way or, or what? I think it's uh... – I, I agree that it could send mixed signals when looking at it that way. I see it more as uh, he puts up the most when he uh, and when they're closing games out and Thad Young is in, they switch how they play defense. It's almost like a switch everything. And with that, you kind of want a bunch of guys who are very similar on defense. And I feel like uh, Kobe White, like a Wendell Carter Jr. being out, it keeps him from being switched on to a point guard or something. And then uh, Kobe White is a liability on defense so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of, I feel like it's more of, uh, hey, prioritizing the defense and the versatility and the players that he has over uh, just like throwing them out and uh, feet to the fire kind of thing and deal with what they get out of it. And I, can, I mean, I can kind of see both sides because yes, I do want this team to win but I'm, I'm kind of wondering how much can a player learn by sitting and watching compared to actually playing out there and trying to win, you know, like how is Wendell Carter jr. Going to play winning quote unquote winning basketball when he's not playing when they're trying to win. I think that's kind of limiting the scope of it. I mean, the closing minutes are very vital to uh, like, if you can't play the closing minutes, it's going to really uh, limit their value uh, going forward. But Wendell Carter is still playing a boatload of minutes. They're, the guys are still playing a lot of minutes, and they've all been competitive games. They, It's not like they're coming in only in uh, garbage time, uh, anything like that. So I, I can see how, how you're saying that by uh, being kind of frozen out, froze out during like uh, these really contested final three, four minutes of a game can um, might look like he's sending mixed signals, but I think it's almost putting uh, the pieces out there that uh, Donovan's putting the most, the pieces out there that he wants to close it, like a kind of fits his scheme and what he wants to do out there best. So I think what, what he wants to oh, do sorry. defensively, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's more of a defensive orientated kind of structure to it where it's kind of, starting to grind it out in those last three minutes more than uh, getting out on a fast break or anything. Yeah. And to me, and I know we're looking very long-term here, but those final closing minutes are going to be what playoff basketball is ever like. And, And I know that I am looking way too far in the future here, but Bulls need players who can play in playoff basketball at some point if they plan on making the playoffs. And I don't know, you know, we could talk about team construction and how big men are, big men are normally played off the floor in the playoffs, like Rudy Gobert, um, or, you know, we can open up a whole nother can of worms there. I just, my main worry about this rotation for all of the good things and how we're seeing all these fun player combinations like Denzel and Kobe and watching Patrick Williams fit in with everybody and, 
you know, seeing Zach and Wendell, that kind of relationship build, it's not all positives to me. I, I think that's a pretty fair takeaway from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not it's not a hot take or anything, but it's oh yeah, it's just I don't know. But let's move on to what we were kind of towing on about. You know, we'll go into our negatives section right now, and I think we need to lead it off with defense. But I want to I I kind of want to preface this negatives section a little bit because like I'm not I'm not mad. All of these games we played were very, all of these games the Bulls played were very close. Yeah. And so it's not yeah. like these aren't any game breaking things right now because you know, none of the games were broken. We just, this is just things that need to be worked on. Yeah. Things that could have made this one and three road trip into a three and one, or I could even uh, have seen this gone four and oh, if things were just cleaned up a little bit better, you know, it's just that there's a lot of variables that go into it, but Mm -hmm. One of those variables is uh, the defense. Defense, yeah. You now, have I've, a, you have a specific a, point? I've seen a lot of people angry at Wendell Carter Jr. And Wendell is my man. You know, I, I love Wendell. He's a great player, I think. And he does have flaws, but one of his flaws is not being too far away in a drop pick and roll scheme because that's where a ton of anger is coming from. Why is Wendell at the free throw line when there's a when there's a pick being set up at the top of the key? Because that's where he's supposed to be. You're playing a drop coverage so you don't get beat on a dribble by, and so you can keep the defense in front of you. If you don't want him to play drop coverage, then he can switch, but that's not drop coverage anymore. And the biggest issue that the Bulls have, and we talked about it time and time again already is that the point guards and this leads back to Wendell the point guards can't get through screens and that's reflecting poorly on Wendell yes the, everybody it's uh, misdirected their, uh, in their anger towards Wendell I mean it's just like a it's they're, they're, it's not as egregious but it feels like every time there's a pick and roll involving anybody but Garrett Temple really uh <laughs> the ball handler gets like five feet of separation or just has great leverage against that defend his defender uh, coming off the screen and it's it, it's just brutal to watch and pick pick and roll is such a staple of this nba game you know find me a possession that doesn't have a pick and roll in it and i'll tell you it's a bad possession <laughs> You know, the the screens are everywhere in the NBA. And so if you can't navigate a screen, then you're screwed. The the defense is screwed if you can't navigate a screen. Yeah, I think I think you hit on the major point that it's it's the scheme. Wendell Carter is not at fault for uh, not being stepping up. It's the lead guys not being able to get through screens. I don't know what's going on there. Is, I mean, we knew that Zach Levine isn't the best defender, but I feel like in isolation basketball he is. But you throw a pick in there and he's uh, he's lost. Yeah, and let's just clarify. He in isolation defense, he's Zach Levine's pretty good, right? Yeah, he can. He has all the tools, and he's been using them to stick in front of his man. Strangely enough, you know, it's a new phenomenon, but 
when a player is calling a an ISO on Levine, I'm like, okay, this is fine, as long as it's an ISO. But as soon as I see a signal for a pick to come, I'm like, oh, all right, well, just chalk up two points or whatever you want to say. Give them four points. I mean, Bulls will have enough four <laughs> points play for everybody. I I just don't get it. Can you prescribe why they're why they're I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, there's been marginal improvements here and there. Uh, I think we're, I hope that we're past the lowest of lows where that Hawks game. Oh. Trey Young just, uh, in, in that game, Trey Young, I, I don't know how often he's been doing it outside the Bulls game, but he just like, uh, he gets by a screen with his man behind him and then just steps on the brakes and draws a foul. And like, it felt like every possession he, he could have drawn 20 fouls in that opening night game because of how, uh, how much separation he got away from his man. But uh, and it's, I, I got, I got no idea how to, it, how to fix this other than to get better at get skinny over those screens or something. But I, I think it really just comes down to getting skinny because, okay. How did Trey Young draw all those fouls? The player was on the back, back hip. How can you avoid mm-hmm. a player being on the back hip? You either go under the screen or you fight through the screen. You don't go over the screen. You can't go under a screen in the NBA, especially not with any sort of modern ball handler. Are you going to go under a screen with Dame or CJ? No, no. No. <laughs> You're getting torched every time. <laughs> and so that means that you have to you have to fight through it. And I just don't think the Bulls are fighting through it. They're, they're resigned to going over the screen and leaving Wendell in a bad position rather than fighting through and, you know, oh, could you, could you differentiate fighting through and going over for me? Just to yes. kind of clarify that. Yeah. So um, if you're going over a screen, to me, that's kind of, you're kind of attached to the back hip of the ball handler and you're oh, trailing like, more. Yeah. Like chasing him. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're chasing him where fighting through a screen it's kind of dependent on how good the ball handler is, is at manipulating that screen, but that's taking a flatter angle to attack the screen. Yeah. And like you said, flattening out between those, between the screener and the ball handler. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted to make sure like we were, I uh, just want to clarify you're going over on both that you're going, you're above the screen on both of these. Yeah. It's just yeah. in the manner in which you're getting over the screen. Yeah, it, it's all—it's kind of like the arc of recovery. So mm-hmm. um, going over is more of a parabola and, you know, more of a, a deeper parabola and fighting through is flattening out that curve. Yeah, yeah, sticking in for trying to stick in front of the defend, uh, the ball yeah. handler. And fighting through does have some negatives, you know, like James Harden is very good if you're fighting through just drawing up that, drawing up those arms and getting a foul. So it is a harder skill. Um so a lot of teams they just kind of switch everything that's why donovan's doing the switching but fighting through that screen helps wendell carter jr out so much and then wendell carter jr isn't getting blamed for all of the bad defense yeah because i feel yeah yeah i feel like he's getting stuck in many two-on-ones on every pick and roll possession where it's oh he's got to defend the ball handler and the big man he steps up to the ball handler big man gets a drop down he stays with the big man ball handler gets a uncontested mid-range jump shot or something like that absolutely it's just there there's a lot to work on there with the bulls do you have any other negatives yeah. though on 
I also wanted to touch on the turnovers because I think the Bulls went from kind of middle of the pack to bottom of the league in turnovers uh, on this West Coast trip. And uh, you kind of talked about how uh, how these turnovers have been happening. Uh, I think it's uh, one thing is just the how the lead uh, ball handlers play. Zach Levine, he's, he's going to have some uh, balls get tipped or like on passes or even get ripped maybe once or twice a game with how he drives at the rim. And then just kind of from there, it's like uh, – it's not a lot of high efficiency guys that are handling the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you had a fun yeah. point with Patrick Williams. Yeah, we, we talked about it before recording. Um, you know, I think Patrick Williams is averaging like 1.6 turnovers a game. I guarantee you that one comes from him traveling on a corner because he's always traveling or stepping out of bounds. Yeah, traveling or stepping out. And that's a point of emphasis for the league. But also, Patrick just he's got to get that travel bug out. Uh, you know, it, it's a turnover a game and it's a dead ball turnover. So that's not a huge deal. It's, I'm not, ang- I'm not like foaming at the mouth yeah, every time yeah, I see it. <laughs> so I, I almost look forward to it in some games. It, it, it's kind of fun, you know, drink it, it when takes Patrick Williams off. travels. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I, one caveat I do want to get put in is that the Bulls are playing at such a high pace that some turnovers are going to happen. But I think Zach and Kobe need to take care of the ball better. I think it was the Clippers game where Kobe was just bringing the ball up the court and he got it ripped by Beverly. And Beverly is a good defender, but Kobe can't have that happen. And so just to calm down you know even if you're just taking away one turnover game from each of them i'm fine with that you just can't have these like 20 20 turnover games or any you know you want to get near 10 to 12 turnovers even at a faster pace i feel like that'd be much much better for the bulls chances of winning yeah kind of it digs them a bit of a hole when they have those like you said like 20 empty possessions where Mm -hmm. it's uh they, they had the ball just there was no shot made or anything like that. So it's, it's rough to see at times and a uh, stat to keep an eye on and how they uh, adjust throughout the season or if it kind of stays course. Yeah. And some, something else I just kind of want to note, Bulls were still in these, all of these games with turnovers, you know, yeah, so. with these, with these two kind of significant issues that we've uh, kind of pointed out uh, as far as the pick and rolls and such. They're still single possession games, mm-hmm. but down to the down to the wire. So it's they're still playing well. It's just like I, I feel like these things that if they're kind of especially the pick and roll, if those get ironed out, we're looking at uh, we're not looking at a Bucks game or a Hawks game for the rest of the season. That's the hope. And now, Caleb, I I tease this at the beginning. There is one enigma on this team. There's something that I just can't wrap my head around. I want to put it in either bad or good, and I can't. And this thing, this amalgamation of good and bad is Zach Levine. Help me, Caleb. <laughs> I need to figure out what this is. What is Zach Levine? Is he good or bad? Please. I think he's uh, overall, if I had to put it in uh, as few words as possible, he's like a, he's the lead player 
with a few flaws. I, I think overall, without them, this team probably winless. But he's also made uh, probably a, some games where they could easily win into uh, more difficult ones. Yeah, he's he, the Kings game really sticks out as a game, you know, he took a bad shot with about a minute left that didn't help their chances of winning. And it was a bad shot. And he took a couple heat checks that were bad shots. And he yeah, takes, <laughs> I think he takes too many heat checks, honestly. The man gets hot. I know he's shooting well, but you don't need to take a heat check every time you make two baskets in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was going to mention your Twitter feed. Uh, I'd go through that and see you uh, tweeting during the games and three or four times without mentioning Levine. But he can't take a heat check after making one shot. <laughs> it, it's a, it seems like Levine, he's, he's made a lot of strikes. Uh, yeah. Trailblazer game, we saw that he wasn't shooting well. He was really distributing the ball, ball well that game. It's kind of adding value outside of just scoring on offense. Well, he he just kind of gets like a sticky glue on his hands at time where like the ball doesn't leave his hands for like like two possessions in a row and it feels like it just stagnates the the offense. Yeah, and it's just he's playing hero ball and at some points I'm just like, Zach, come on. And then I look at the box score and he's got like 30 points. I'm like, oh, I, I can't even complain about it that much because he's putting up so many points. Yeah, it's like you know, you look at the uh, outside of the Trailblazer game. He put up uh, 30 plus points and had 45 against the Clippers. He had 10 threes he's, against yeah. the Clippers. He, yeah, you know, he is the only player in Bulls history to make 10 threes. He's done it twice. It's he is uh, another level scorer. Sorry about I'm just that. Uh, I'm just I'm just confused a little bit because I, I everybody's telling me you know he's an empty calorie scorer but he's scoring 45 points a game or he's not good he's turning over the ball he's he missed two game winning shots but he was the reason that he had those two game winning shots I'm not saying he also a hit a game winning shot he also hit a game winning shot so he, he there's a lot of good games. there's a yeah. I think he's he's the engine to this offense. There are just some tendencies. Yeah, he's not a he's not a perfect player. I don't think there is one out there. It's just like some of his flaws we've kind of known about for a while on offense, where it's uh he gets a little too ISO heavy, the ball sticks in his hand a little a uh, bit much. But overall, I think he's a high volume, high efficiency scorer. I, like if he shoots under, I, I'd say even like a. 50%. I feel like 50% is like the the efficiency I'm looking for from him. And that's from the a, field that is. That's a very important piece to have in any basketball team, you know. Everybody would kill for a high efficiency, high volume scorer. That you need to score points to win in basketball and Zach Levine does that better than probably 95% of the league. He is a talented scorer. He's one of the most talented scorers. You know, him and like Bradley Beal, they're both in the same space where they are just outstanding scorers, but yet their teams are kind of bad still. And I've just... Yeah, yeah. There's a few guys out there like that. I mean, I, 
I think it's fun that you can mention those two players in the same sentence, Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. That's true. That, you know, that means that Zach's taking strides. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, another, uh, the thing that kind of puts Zach Levine as a positive overall in the season for me, outside of being an offensive engine with some small downsides, uh, his defense has looked a lot better across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I one game that I wanted to draw attention to was his uh, rim rotations against the Trailblazers in the box where he had two blocks. But I could uh, when I was watching the fourth quarter, there was at least three possessions where he was the last line of defense, and he was getting up to contest some. I think he contested Yusuf Nurkic one time, Damian Lillard. Like it wasn't it, it wasn't just like he was like just tipping the ball on threes. It was like he was rotating to the rim and getting vertical. And that's great. That's something that we haven't seen before. He's taking huge strides. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been consistent across this West coast trip. Mm -hmm. It was like one of those things like, Hey, is this, could this be a part of this game as a, as a lead guard making rim rotations? I think, the jury's still out on him and it's going to stay out on him. And I don't know that we're ever going to get a solid answer, but bulls are keeping games close and he is a part of that. Yes, And he deserves his credit for that. I think he kind of falls into this in between positive and negative because we've had some talking points that went against him. Uh Mm -hmm. But I think there's just too much good there. So with that, you want to jump into the rest of the good? Yeah, um, you know, you made a comment. You said that you don't believe there's a perfect player. I have one counter argument to that, and that is Patrick Williams. I mean, come on, did you forget about him? He's on your favorite team. He is a perfect player. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's making he, – he checks almost every box. I got to agree with that. So uh, what did you see on this West Coast trip? I just saw a – 19 year old who in Illinois would still be on a graduated driver's license who has not legally taken a drink of alcohol yet who just guarded LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and did pretty well on both assignments yeah is that a fair summation for I yeah that's uh that was the major thing uh uh, I'm sure most people have seen the LeBron James quote on Kawhi, on uh, Patrick Williams comparing his defense to Kawhi Leonard's with uh, especially their big old hands. But, and uh, Patrick Williams even said himself that one of his favorite players growing up was Kawhi Leonard, and he modeled his game after Kawhi. So these Kawhi comparisons aren't necessarily out of left field. But let's take a step back for a second, and I want to talk about him versus LeBron James mainly. Because there's not a better litmus test in the league than going up against the best player to play basketball that's on the court right now. Yeah, yeah. And LeBron got his points. He's never not going to be denied his points. But the fashion in which he made shots, and when Patrick Williams was on him, the most frequent shot I saw LeBron take wasn't anything at the rim. It was him trying to post Patrick Williams up and then taking a mid-post fadeaway from the wing. Yeah, yeah, that's what. I, yeah, he took a lot of, kept him out of the paint. Very yeah, well. and you know if you're forcing LeBron James to not play make as much, 
not get to the rim as much and take fadeaway mid-rangers, I mean, that that's worth something. That's not nothing. Yeah, it's not nothing at all, yeah. And then you come back two nights after or whatever, and then you guard Kawhi Leonard, who is a very different matchup, much more dynamic with the ball, and Kawhi got his too. Kawhi, yeah, I think he put up 20, uh, 20 points and some change uh, in the third quarter alone. Yeah. But, but uh, oh, you go. To me, it seems like, you know, we're 12, 12 or 11 games in, and Patrick Williams is firmly an NBA player. And that's what this first part is all about is seeing, okay, we have this first round draft pick. Is he an NBA player? And you can kind of, you know, like LaMelo Ball looks like an NBA player. Obi Toppin, we don't know if he's an NBA player. He hasn't played at all. Anthony Edwards, probably an NBA player, but we can see Patrick Williams is going to contribute at some level in the NBA. We've already cleared that first hurdle and that's as good as we can hope for. Yeah. And it's going forward. He's shown a lot of growth as well. Before we touch on, on uh, his learning ability and the growth, uh, I wanted to mention just how versatile on both ends of the court is on on both ends of the court. He is as far as defense. I, I think it's not like you don't get, he doesn't play, every player the exact same way. LeBron James is a jumbo initiator uh, kind of type. I mean, he's the best player in the league, but defending at the point of attack at times, uh, being posted up quite a bit. Uh, he was facing and playing him all that and then uh, in that. And then uh, you saw him on Kawhi. Kawhi was coming off some off-ball screens, and uh, he was playing them different ways, uh, chasing him around once, uh, tried to top block him where he kind of was trying to block Kawhi from getting to the screen. Uh, Kawhi got points on both, uh, both of those possessions that I kind of watched back to back, but his ability to defend him multiple different types of players all over the court with uh, different kind of techniques really bodes well for him going forward and kind of being that defensive playmaker uh, was kind of labeled as in the draft yeah and in the draft you know Kernishevis came out and said we think that he can guard all positions and you and I were both a little bit like are are you sure because he seems like he seems like a four who can guard the front court very well but with being able to change the way you defend and that's that's kind of like the first step in being able to defend every type of player right yeah yeah. Oh, there was uh, one more thing I kind of want to touch on as far as, uh, sorry to keep dragging on about no. this fantastic rookie. I'm, I'm all <laughs> here for all of the Patrick uh, Williams talk. On defense, also on smaller guys, uh, the big drawback on defense for Patrick Williams is his uh, slower hips. And with like smaller, quicker guys, they can get the first step on him, but he has the length and the athleticism to kind of keep up with them once he's equal with them. And uh, we've seen it multiple times this year where a ball handler looks like they beat him. And then by the time they get to the rim, Patrick Williams just swallows them up with his, uh, just all of his recovery tools, his wingspan, his, uh, his vertical, uh, his vertical leap, all that kind of combined. He just kind of swallows up smaller guys at the rim. So it, it, it's just fantastic to see as uh, this 19 year old, as you mentioned, kind of putting his mark on defense across some of the best players and across multiple positions. Yeah. 
I think of him guarding small players as he has meticulously measured out a piece of rope. And he says, here is this very, very cognizant piece of rope. This is how much room you have. And you can have that much room until you're at the rim. And then when you're at the rim, I'm going to close down. And he knows exactly (laughs) what I'm getting at is he knows exactly how far he can be off and still recover. And that's a great thing to see. I really like seeing that. But he's also a sponge. You know, he's, it seems like every day he's learning more and more. And I'm going to use this as a segue. So just prepare yourself because. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah. Um, Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports, he had a little anecdote about Patrick Williams and one of his teammates. So after the Lakers game, Patrick Williams was shooting around and he was shooting around with Garrett Temple. And at one point during the shoot around, Garrett Temple came, came up to Patrick Williams and he said, Patrick, you can shoot the three. You just can't shoot the three with a with that rhythm dipple, dribble because players can close out fast enough to eliminate all that space. So if you're taking a rhythm dribble, it's no longer a good shot. Now that's between the Lakers and the Clippers game. Patrick Williams goes out during the Clippers game. I think he shoots like five threes or something on the three makes that he has. No rhythm, no rhythm dribble, just catch and shoot on the two misses. He tried taking that rhythm dribble. And so we're kind of seeing this from two angles because one, you've got the student who is just absorbing all this knowledge 11 games into his NBA career and he's making adjustments to his game style on the fly. And then on the other side, you've got Garrett Temple, who seems to me like he's kind of a coach on the floor. You know, we have that Wendell Carter Jr. scene where he throws the ball back and says, shoot it. Wendell did shoot it and he made it. You know, he's shooting, he's lifting weights with Kobe White after after a game. He's shooting around with Patrick Williams. It it seems to me like Billy Donovan's got another piece of his coaching staff that just wears a number 17. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's he's been a a major asset, especially off the court. I mean, we can talk about his on court value as far as being he's kind of a run of the mill kind of spot starter, three and D wing. But I feel like off the court is where he's really making his mark. Yeah. We're 11 games into the season, and there's probably eight or nine of these anecdotes out there of Garrett Temple spending time with these younger guys and kind of passing on advice or just kind of helping them along. Yeah, and that's not to denigrate his play on the court. You know, he's he's been starting for a couple times. He, he's been hitting threes. You kind of liken him to Justin Holiday. Uh, yeah, and functionality on the court. Yeah, as far mm-hmm. as uh, wing defender, who uh, on offense is mainly spot up threes or transition baskets. Yeah, he can play make a little bit too, though. But off the court, like you said, he just seems like such a positive value pl- player for five million dollars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who else is it going to be spent on? <laughs> I I came into the season kind of being like, you know, I, I don't know how much I like Garrett Temple. I feel like he could have used more of the MLE. He could have signed someone else to fill that last roster spot. I know roster spot was a big limiting factor. And now, you know, one-seventh of the way into the season, I'm like, yes, Garrett Temple, thank you for being on this team. He He's hit some clutch shots. He's coached people up he looks to be a very stabilizing factor on and off the court. And I don't think we can overstate how much that helps a young team. 
Yeah, yeah, I feel like he's almost uh, uh, a little bit worse as a player than Thad Young, but uh, coming into last the season, Thad Young was kind of heralded as that locker room kind of presence that uh, would really kind of help these young guys come along. And I'm excited just to see uh, both these guys in the locker room, uh, these older guys. I mean, on the court, uh, they're pretty, very nice players. Uh, mm-hmm. But like kind of seeing these guys build this culture up with these young guys and kind of encourage them and help them grow as players. And I seems like also grown as people, which I, I love to see in the NBA. Yeah, I, him and Thad have just been doing wonders on this team and Billy Donovan. Now that we finished gushing about Derek Temple, do you have anything else? You know, this whole trip was just kind of a big positive. It's a feel-good story. Yeah, Yeah, it's a really feel-good, yeah. I mean, we had to dig deep to find those those two negatives to hang on. But overall, it's been – oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, overall, it's been good. And so the question I want to ask you now is a question that we ask at the end of every podcast. And that is, how does this segment of games, normally we say, how does one game, but how does this segment of games fit into the narrative of the season? How does it build on that narrative? I, uh, I kind of want to go with two points here, but in, on the season, I think this is uh, the encouraging growth that we've been looking for, kind of coming off those two humongous blowouts to start the season and then going down to the wire with four very competitive teams in very competitive games. That's what we want out of the Bulls team is being competitive every game, being in it down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And then your but, second point. Oh, I, just for this road trip, it felt like a lot of steel sharpened steel. It's a, like a, the phrase that kind of gets thrown around. A, I was thinking of the words. These, these guys are getting better by facing some of these very competitive teams and competing every minute. So it's just like, it was a really fun stretch of games to watch. And I hope it uh, continues going forward. Yeah. You know, this is Bulls basketball being enjoyable again. And I think the phrase that I want to use to really set my, set my level for what these games mean is that this is the new baseline. This is kind of, this is kind of what we want to see now. Bulls have proven that they can do it. Bulls have proven that they can do it against NBA elites. So now there's no more excuses for Atlanta Hawks blowouts. I get it. You know, sometimes you're going to have an off night. But this is what I want to see day in and day out from now on. I'm happy to see it. I'm, I'm very happy about the result of this road trip, even though we were one and three. But this is the new baseline. I love it. <laughs> I, I just thought of that one up, if you can believe it. But. And <laughs> do you have anything else to add in? Uh, not much. I'm just, I, I'm hoping the NBA can get back in full swing as soon as possible. And, uh, all the players stay healthy. Like we uh, mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. You know, um, the NBA schedule is kind of up in the air right now. So we can't really say when we want, when we're going to be back, we'll try to get something out into the feed sometime next week depending on how many games there are, you know, if there's no new developments, then I don't know how much we can talk about, but moving forward, we're feeling good. feels good to be a Bulls fan. Doesn't it, Caleb? It feels great. feels great. Best one in three I've ever seen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So 
thanks for listening, everybody. Again, if you have any comments, any suggestions for the podcast, feel free to reach out to any of us. And thank you for listening.